Welcome to this KGNW broadcast special, Heart of the City. Pastors, ministry leaders, and churches have received a call to serve their communities with the love and compassion of Christ. The call is from God's heart to the heart of the city. Well, this is Heart of the City. We're on every Sunday morning on KGNW, and my name is Chuck Olmstead. I'm the Director of Local Ministry Development here at KGNW, and I really do enjoy this time together every week as we share stories of the faithfulness of God in people's lives. And uh, today I have a guest by the name of Bud Palmberg. Uh, Bud is a former uh, pastor at uh, Mercer Island Covenant Church, and many of you uh, know Bud. He's been around uh, the Seattle area for many, many years. Uh, welcome this morning, Bud. Thank you. Good to be here. You know, it, it is good. We have a mutual fr- friend, Don Creech, who uh, called me up, and, and he listens to the program and uh, he said, uh, you've got to have this guy on. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to, John, to Don and Linda. Yes, and uh, so he's a good man, and uh, I appreciate him connecting the two of us together. And uh, so, I, you know, this is a time we, we hear uh, on KGNW, I say this almost every week, but it's, it's really true. We hear um, so many great teachers on KGNW and uh, But I love to hear the stories of how God brought a, a person to himself, how he drew them to himself, because those stories are so unique. And uh, I, I was thinking this morning, it's kind of the imagination of God, yeah, that's right. <laughs> how he is able to uh, use a word from someone or a situation in someone's life to draw them to himself. And um, and so today we'd love to hear your story, Bud, of how the Lord brought you uh, to himself, and then uh, what what were the results of that in your life? So uh, as always, as we do every week, let's start at the beginning. Grow up around here or in other parts of the country? Where I was born and raised in Nebraska. Nebraska? I'm a cornhusker. Oh, there, yes, sir, very much so. So uh, near... Um, any large cities? Uh, about 70 miles west of Lincoln. Okay. Right on Interstate 80. Aurora. In a, name uh, I understand. My mother, uh, not to get too far off, my mother was born in Nebraska in a sod house back in 1918. Wow. And uh, lived out in the northwest corner uh, there for, for years uh, in a sod house as a little girl and rode a horse to school. And so I have fond thoughts about Nebraska because that's where my mom was born. Yeah, my, my grandmother and grandfather lived in a sod house for a number of years. And some people uh, that are a younger generation would have no clue what we're talking oh, about right. as, far as, right. a, as far as a sod house and what that all involved. So uh, born in Nebraska, uh, were you, did you grow up in, in formative years there? Or did you stay yeah. in that area? I, I grew up there, graduated from high school there. Then I went to Chicago for a two-year college. And after two-year college, I transferred back to the University of Nebraska for my bachelor's degree. So a corn husker and uh, right. yeah, some great football, some great wrestling, uh, yep. some uh, University of Nebraska, well, well known. So what was your life like then? Did you have uh, Christian parents? Were, did you have a <clears throat> Christian influence in your life? Were you a church-going family? I had, I had amazing Christian parents. My mother was like 
the town's uh, Mother Teresa. She would go back in the days when long hair on children was a sign of poverty. Uh-huh. She would go around on the other side in the poor section of town and pick up kids, say to them, knock on the door and say, I'm practicing cutting hair. Would you mind if I gave your kids a haircut? And she'd load the car full of these little dirty rascals and bring them home and put their clothes in the wash machine, put them in the washing tub, and then she would cut their hair and bring them back all shiny and trimmed. Wow. My dad owned wholesale auto supplies, NAPA stores, and uh, was a leader in the church and in the conference. He was an amazing guy, both of them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, what, so obviously went to church as a young child. Oh, yeah. Heard the, the gospel. If the lights were on... We were there, uh-huh. and it was not always my desire, and I wasn't that excited about it sometimes, but there was no discussion. It was just the way it was. <laughs> That's it. As with my family, too. Yeah. You, <laughs> it didn't matter whether you complained or not. You were still in yeah. church. Your feet are under my table. You do what I say. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so were you involved in sports? Were you a musician? What did you, you know, when you were in high I, school, what, uh, what was your life like? I played trumpet in the band for years, marching band. Our high school marching band won the state championship four years in a row. And I was on the track team. I was on the boxing team. And that's back in the days when they had interscholastic boxing and wrestling. Uh-huh. And uh, I was very involved in drama in drama and uh, all the class plays, the drama club plays, and all of the rest. And that was kind of a distant dream of mine was someday to get in the stage. And uh, in fact, I love to tease my wife that one of the girls I dated when I was at the University of Nebraska won the Academy Award for Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf as Best Supporting Actress. Whoa. And my wife always says, yeah, but she was a strange girl. <laughs> and I say, I, I won't argue with you there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, after graduation from uh, from university, went to school in Chicago, back to, uh, back to um, University of Nebraska, what happened next? Well, what happened next was an unexpected uh, kind of turn in the road that God provides sometimes. Uh, I had been a, a pretty involved, quote, Christian young fella growing up, and uh, then when I got back to the University of Nebraska, I kind of took a, a left turn. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went to the far country, but not all the way to the pig pen, but I was headed in that direction. Played in a dance band. Uh, one night during our break, uh, it, the dance was at the YMCA, and during our break, uh, we ducked away to get away from some of the girls that kind of bothered us. And we got, <laughs> Didn't realize it, but we stepped into the chapel by accident. And I was with the other trumpet player, uh, and Jim was a wild man. He was just wild. A lot of fun, but he was was wild. And we sat there in silence, and then Jim just turned to me and he said, Hey, bud, how long are you going to run away from God? And that was, I mean, God. There was no context in that no, comment to you. And certainly not coming from that source anyway. You know, uh-huh. I mean, that was like Balaam's ass. <laughs> uh-huh. And uh, it just really hit me between the eyes. And I, 
I thought, yeah. So I said, no more. And I took three steps to the front of this little chapel, rededicated my life to Christ. And three weeks later, I applied to seminary, which shocked absolutely everybody. And, uh, of course, I had to have the recommendation of my church and my pastor and all of that kind of stuff. And they'd be filling it out, and they'd look at me, and they'd say, are you working some kind of a scam? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I then how, went to what seminary. Was, what was the what was the the um, progression there? I mean, how long had you been kind of straying in your heart away from that that understanding of the Lord? Was it a, you know six months, a year, a couple of years? A, about a year and a half. And one of the things that really triggered it is that my dad said I I should come home every weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, that I could. So I'd take my time off from my job at school and hitchhike home. And at the front of my dad's auto supply store, he had a, a, a buzzer system that when you opened the door, it rang a buzzer in the back. So if he was back with his tailpipes or inner tubes, right. he'd know that somebody was there. And I had learned how to short circuit that thing so that I could sneak in. And I love to take a three-foot radiator hose and sneak up on Dad and whap him if he was bent over someplace. Sure. And I came back to what passed for Dad's office. It had an open window, pass-through window, and his desk was always covered with melted camshafts and everything else. And I heard voices, but I couldn't see anybody in there. So I went up and I peeked in the window, and my dad was on his knees with the Reliance Battery Salesman, District Salesman leading him to the Lord. And it was such a moment of conviction for me Uh. that I just turned around and went back, short-circuited the thing, and hitchhiked back to college, and Dad never even knew I was home. Interesting. But that was one of the things that really jolted me. Yeah. And then... So, you know, having grown up in the church myself, I, I know that experience of, you know, the Lord convicting your heart. You know the gospel... And you know what genuine relationship with Jesus is because you've seen it in your family, but yet there's this um, hesitation to really make a full commitment. And as a young person, you know, I have a similar experience. And the Lord does have a way of convicting us, though, doesn't he? But you know, Chuck, part of my problem is that I saw missionaries as really, you know, triple-A Christians. Uh Uh-huh. If I commit my life without reservation, I'm going to wind up in a mud hut in New Guinea, uh-huh. and I like convertibles. <laughs> and I thought, it ain't going to work. Right. I mean, this is crazy, but that's probably what was banging around in my shadows of my mind, I guess. Mm-hmm. And and uh, after some seminary training, I went out on my internship. I would mar- got married um, 59 years ago this coming September. And my bride and I went to this little church on the edge of a swamp in southern Alabama, just way down south. And uh, it was a, an amazing experience. But I'll never forget, I, I still had no idea if God really wanted me in the ministry. But I thought, well, I'll go to seminary. I can at least use that in as a layman because mm-hmm. you know, I saw how my dad used his knowledge of the Scripture. And the first Sunday night, in February 1958, uh, the big consolidated high school superstar athlete committed his life to Christ on Sunday night. 
and to me that was that was kind of an affirmation that yeah god can use even me mm-hmm. and i went for a walk that night and my wife said you better take take the gun because you know there's snakes and all that kind of stuff and i said snakes don't stand a chance i'm so far <laughs> off the ground they couldn't reach me uh-huh. but since that time in 1958 i have never ever questioned whether god wanted me in a ministry Many times I've questioned why, and many times I've questioned where, uh-huh. but never why. Not that calling, that deep-seated no. calling of it, it's just there. So we've uh-huh. served the Lord in Switzerland and here and Illinois and and Indonesia and yeah. all over the place. Yeah. Well, uh, talk to me about uh, first of all, you were at Mercer Island Covenant Church for twenty-six years. That's right. And uh, that was back uh, what years? 67 to 93. Wow. And, and, of course, Mercer Island was probably a little bit different than it is now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was indeed. And the Mercer Island Covenant Church had 30, 35 people. Uh-huh. And uh, it was funny because I came from a church in western Illinois, and one of the leading pastors in the town found out I was leaving town, and he said, well, you've done such a fine job here. you probably get quite a promotion. And I said, well, actually— the church I'm going to is about one-fifth the size of the one I'm leaving. And he says, good Lord, man, what did you do to make the bishop that mad? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it was just, I, I just sense, a sense of release where I was and a sense of call. Well, talk about that for a moment because there are people who hear stories like that and they don't understand what that, what that really means, how that actually works. Why do you... Why do you go from a church that is, quote, successful, moving to another church that has much fewer people and fewer resources? What is it that the Lord does in your heart when that happens? Uh, I think, for me, it's not—I'm materialistic enough that if the churches contacting me are big churches or big salary or prestigious churches, I'm really tempted, you know? uh-huh. And to protect myself from that, I have simply said, Lord, only if you give me a clear sense of release from where I am will I consider something else. Mm -hmm. And never had that sense of release until Mercer Island called. And I had never been to Seattle. As far as I was concerned, it was some kind of a shroud-infested jungle island in the Pacific. (laughs) I didn't know. Right, right. And uh, I came out here, and we haven't had a— a day of regret. Yeah. And the same thing when I left Mercer Island, it was, we were in three services and it was really well, we'd had four building programs and all of the rest. And this church in Switzerland contacted me and they only had 30 people. And they told me that the, their equivalent of the Chamber of Commerce was, it cost 60,000 Swiss francs a year to live modestly in Lucerne, Switzerland. We can only offer you 20000 Now, you do understand. I said, look, I took math in the second grade. I know the difference between 20 and 60. But uh-huh. Ed and Iram Judson once said, God's work done God's way never lacks God's support. So I said, that's, that's not a consideration. The money, forget that. Don't worry about that. And uh, 
Mercer Island had been very generous with me after I'd been there 25 years. They gave my wife and I both a substantial gift, and I just figured that was God's prepayment plan. Yeah, yeah. And after we'd been in Switzerland for two, three, four years, the church had grown, so it was able to pick up the entire cost of, of that. And uh, God's been good. I haven't, I haven't lost a dime in the whole process. Uh-huh, I mean, uh-huh. I've been stunned by the way He's provided it sometimes. Mm-hmm. But if you, if you fight against the nature that you may have if you're like me, a kind of materialistic nature. I, we were kind of poor when I was a kid growing up, and I always looked at the kids that had a bicycle instead of one that I had to put together out of pieces from the dump. Uh, the tendency is to want to look look at those things. Mm-hmm. And uh, if, you, if you short-circuit that, just keep your eyes on the Lord and seeking to do His will, however imperfect, uh, you're going to make it. It's it's great. Yeah, yeah. You know, when you talk about moving around, uh, people will say to me, well, um, you know, I'd like to live in such and such a place because of the weather in, in this sure. location or this yeah. is a beautiful area and this is— and I've always felt that it is wherever the Lord's will is for you to be is where you're going to be satisfied. No question. You know, you can be in the most beautiful, pristine island, and if you're not in the center of where God wants you to be, you're going to be miserable. <laughs> the first church after seminary was in a town that everybody said it's the armpit of the Illinois. Mm-hmm. Where and was that, by the way? Kiwani, Illinois. Oh, I grew up in Rock Island. Okay. So, so 60 miles away yeah, in Kiwani. Sure. And Kiwani the... was having economic problems. Uh-huh. Factories were closing and leaving town yeah. because of union squabbles and all of this kind of thing. And the church was really discouraged and gone way downhill and this kind of stuff. And interestingly enough, when they called me to be their pastor, I had no other options. Uh-huh. If I was going to be a pastor, I had to accept that. And I thought, Oh, gee. It turned out we loved it. Uh-huh. We had we had five little over five years, just joyous. We're still in touch with those people we all the Kiwani. time. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, it is true. Wherever the Lord puts you and places you and you know that, you're going to be satisfied. Absolutely. Amen. So go to Switzerland. You're in Lucerne for seven years? Seven, a little over seven years. And, and it's an international church, and, and I guess it was pretty unique, huh? <laughs> well, it was the only English-language church in Lucerne. So if people wanted to worship in English or practice English as a second or third language, that's where they came. Mm-hmm. And so we had 30% of our congregation were Catholic, and 10% were Russian, Bulgarian, Ethiopian, Orthodox, the rest were everything from Anglican to Baptist to Pentecostal. and uh, it I was, bet those were interesting services. Oh, that was more fun. I mean, <laughs> one of the first communion services I had there, they came forward to kneel and receive from Common Cup and uh-huh. Common Loaf. And the guy crossed himself and held out his hands like a Catholic does. And I tore off the bread, put it in his hands. There's my Catholic brother. Two or three down the line, this dear lady crosses herself backwards and opens her mouth. And so I tore off the bread and dropped it in her mouth. And that's orthodox. Right. And then down the line a little bit later, here's this Pentecostal, thank you, Jesus, <laughs> right. yelling. And I think, man, this is the kingdom right here. <laughs> yeah, you know? That's it, right. It was great. Yeah. Plus the church, 
because it was, like I say, the only English language, we had several opera singers and, and world-class musicians and a lot of asylum seekers who had fled from, from persecution and uh, uh, from Nigeria and from Ghana, from Ethiopia, from all over the place, Sri Lanka. So it was, a, it was great. And you'd see these people. Here sits a guy who has a, has a knighthood from England as a musician sitting right next to somebody whose hands are all deformed from torture. Hmm. And they're brothers in Christ. Yeah. And that, that to me is exciting. It's very exciting. Well, one of the things that you did, now help, help me know the history on this. Were you at Mercer Island Covenant during this time where you started working with, uh, with Night Watch and started? Yeah. So t- talk to me about that because that's an organization some people might not even – Uh, be aware of. We've got about four minutes. Okay. Uh, A member of the church, this little church that I was serving at the time on Mercer Island, had a son that he couldn't find, didn't know where he was. And that was back in the days of the tune-in and drop-out generation. Mm -hmm. And I went looking for him and tried to find him. Finally found him in an abandoned house on Capitol Hill with a bunch of other hippies. And it's too long a story to go into that, but I discovered a guy there that said that he had been impacted by a street priest in San Francisco in the Tenderloin. And then he said, we need something like that in Seattle. And I said, yeah, I guess so. He said, I tell you what, I'll set it up. You get the ministers. Well, at 2 o'clock in the morning, I'm, I'm pretty agreeable. <laughs> and uh, so I said, okay. And I'm leaving out a lot, but eventually we wound up on the street the deal was we would wear clerical garb, walk the street. First Avenue back in those days was really like like Dodge City, Kansas. I mean, it was it was mean and tough. I got thrown through plate glass windows and had knives held at my throat and all kinds of stuff. And we had six guys put in the hospital the first six months uh, because they got beat. But uh, we'd walk the street from on 9 o'clock, 9.30 at night until the bars closed and then sometimes until the bottle clubs closed at 4. And uh, just being kind of a walking crisis clinic kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And we'd go into bars and would sit down at the bar and, and the bartender would refer us to people. And we had a lot of, of contacts, a lot of contacts. It has now developed to the place where we feed 150 people every night. Mm. And we have studio apartments for 26 formerly homeless aged people and uh, we refer to all of the missions union gospel and all the rest use our referral system Mm. for their shelters so we provide over 20,000 bed nights a year so that started back in the 1967 and is still going today yeah still going again rick reynolds is the director and he does a fabulous job yeah yeah well, you know, as we're wrapping up here and uh, thinking about your life and your mom going back and, and cutting hair of children, uh, it reminds me of kind of the circle of ministry, how she had a heart for, for folks who, who were poor, and, and it sounds like mm-hmm. you, you guys weren't that far ahead of them, you know, in scale, but yet there was that heart of ministry that you saw from your parents that was then fulfilled— yeah in what you are doing in your life. But, Chuck, it's interesting also. I tell the people at Mercer Island and every place else, I've never dealt with anything on First Avenue or in the International District that I haven't dealt with in my ministry on Mercer Island. 
Mm-hmm. The only difference is it's in a million-dollar mortgage on Mercer Island and on First Avenue. It just lays in a gutter. Yeah. Love, uh, you know, drug abuse, meaninglessness, it's all there. Mm-hmm. It's part of what the Bible calls sin, <laughs> which is missing the mark, and God wants lost people found. Amen. He does want uh, people found, and uh, but I'm glad he found you. So am and, I. <laughs> amen. Today we've been speaking with Bud Palmberg. He is a former pastor at Mercer Island Covenant Church, still loves the Lord after all these years. Oh, yeah. And uh, it's amazing to hear these stories about the faithfulness of our God as he is working in our lives to, um, to, to bring us to himself. I really do appreciate you listening to this program. If you want to hear this uh, program, you can uh, go on a podcast and listen more. Heart of the City. For more information about how your pastor or ministry can be featured on KGNW, call Chuck Olmstead at 206-269-6216 or go to KGNW.com.